I'm Tass Mellis of The Starters. This is Ben Golver with the Open Floor Podcast. Hi, I'm Kristen Ludlow from NBA Inside Stuff. I'm OG Ananobi of the Toronto Raptors. Hey, I'm Elena Donon, and welcome to the Double Clutch. Double Clutch. Double Clutch. Double Clutch. Double Clutch Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, basketball fans of all ages, welcome to the Double Clutch Podcast with me, Hugh Hopkins. And this week, we have a very special guest in the form of Jeff Perlman. Hello, Jeff. How are you? I feel like everybody calls me a very special guest on their podcast. And if I'm special to everyone, I, I feel like I'm probably special to no one. So I, I question whether I'm actually a special guest. But otherwise, well, I'm good. I, th- I think I think when you, when, you know, you, you grace the likes of, um, you, you know, Howard Beck and, uh, you know, other other massive podcasts like Zach Lowe, um, you know, for, for someone like yourself to come on the Double Clutch podcast, we are very grateful. You are a very special guest. Um, for I'll those who it. don't know... Uh, the, for for the listeners, um, you are you are a classic old school sports writer, but you're um, you know you don't have the age I think of those classic old school sports sports writers because how many books is it now? Is it seven something like that? Nine, nine, nine. I'm glad. Yeah, I don't know. How I apologize. No, I don't know. But uh, yeah, you've you've done some some fantastic ones across all sports really, but, um, NBA fans will be, uh, will remember you most for Showtime. I think it was, I think that was the title of it in, in, in mid 2013, 2014, some, sometime around then. I don't even know how they all merged together. Probably six <laughs> years about seven years. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, and you know, you are back with a brand new, uh, LA Lakers book, three ring circus. Congratulations on it. It's a, it's a fantastic book. I do want to get into the book, but first of all, being a long-time LA sports writer, I wanted to pick your brain on on the current Lakers, if if you wouldn't mind. We're, we're of course in the, in the middle of of the finals. Um, have you been following the season? Presumably, you have. You know, it's funny. Not as much as you would think. I'm a. Uh, I actually I live in Southern California, but I've only lived here six years, and um, I'm going to give the least sexy answer ever. Bye. I have not paid that much attention to the season, not as much as I probably should. I just, um, you know, it started late. I was not interested. I was more focused on getting my kids right and finishing the book and doing that. So I, I pretty much BS my way through questions about the modern Lakers, but my knowledge is, is probably, I've written two books on the Lakers, but I guarantee you your knowledge of the current Lakers is much better than mine. I mean, serious. I mean, totally honest. I just don't. I haven't watched as much as I probably should. No, that's like. that's fine. I I appreciate the honesty. Um, well, I think the the thing that I've sort of taken away from this Lakers season is that um, you know, you have a a big one-two punch um, that sort of harkens back to the days that you know your book sort of you know recalls uh, Three Ring Circus. It covers the 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 period of around 1996 to. 2004, um, where, you know, obviously heyday of the Kobe and Shaq Lakers, but I think, um, it's come as a timely reminder, you know, not just this year, because of course the LA Lakers are back in the finals now, but also such sad, unfortunate timing, obviously, but, um, with Kobe's death earlier this year, I think it has extra resonance. Your book, it it was almost all written before Kobe passed away. Is that, is that correct? Uh, it was all written. I mean, I, I added a three-page sort of intro at the beginning, but um, yeah, the whole thing was written. So it was it was just a shock because I had spent two years devoting myself to the subject, and then um, 
you find out one of the protagonists died. I've written nine books, but I've never had anything like that happen before. Did, did it make you consider rewriting? No. Um, it, I just wanted people to know that the Kobe Bryant in the book, which covers a very specific time period, isn't the Kobe Bryant who died at 41. That, you know, he was, um, you know, Kobe Bryant, the guy who played with Shaq um, during those years was kind of immature and he was young. He was figuring his way out and he wasn't that socially smooth and gifted. And so when you read the book, you might think, God, I don't really like this Kobe Bryant. But it was just part of his journey. You know, it wasn't who he was when he died. And he was the dad of four and a businessman and a youth basketball coach. So I just wanted to make it clear that the person you're reading about isn't the same guy, you know, that we all have our journeys. I think, um, I think that's sort of uh, why I was um, such a big fan of the book, to be honest. Um, I, uh, I am a sort of outspoken Kobe hater um, d- during his life. I was, I, I was a Spurs fan, so there, there was that element to it. But I also didn't appreciate how, the, you know, the way he went about his business, you know, demanding trades. And I, I, I thought he was a terrible teammate. Um, and when he retired, there was this, uh, you, you know, d- during that time when he retired, I think in his final few years, he did have this sort of image rebuilding process, you know, after he got that final big contract from the Lakers and in those final two seasons. And I sort of felt at the time, oh, this is, this is quite uh, painful to watch because that's not really him. But, but like you said, I think, I think he did grow up throughout the course of his career and he did become this, he did become a good leader towards the end and he did become, you know, a, f- a fantastic advocate for women's sports, which is something I'm, I'm, I'm personally uh, very big on. Um, and, you know, he became this great father that everybody could see. So at what stage do you think then the, he started to make that transition from immature, frustratingly annoying teenager you know, in, into, into the man that was so loved, you know, in, the, in those final years before he passed away? It's sort of a guess. I, I think a big part of it, at least, I mean, one thing that athletes all need to go through, they always say athletes, um, it sounds kind of callous now, but it's a common saying. They say athletes die twice. They die first when they retire. Mm-hmm. And then when they die, and when, then when they actually die. And I think for Kobe Bryant, um, toward the end of his career, when he wasn't, when he got hurt and he wasn't as good as he was and he wasn't as dominant as he was, he was on some pretty crappy Laker teams. Um, I think that was really important for him maturation-wise. I just think it changed who he was. And all athletes need to have that. Like, it helps to have that wind down where it's very hard to go from just being great to getting hurt and you're done. Like, that's a very hard transition. It's much more helpful when you're a guy who averaged 28 a game and then you average 16 a game. and You can't get your shot off as quick and you're not as quick on defense and you're worried about getting hurt and you're sore waking up the next day. And I think for him... It was important both as a sort of person, as the athlete on the fade. Like he just needed, it's like his whole life was devoted to basketball and how important basketball is and basketball, 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 basketball. And when you start having kids and you start having other interests, you realize that that game against, you know, Portland on Tuesday isn't nearly as big a deal as you thought it was. So I just think his sort of winding down was when he started to really mature, in my opinion. And I guess the, well, like I said, the, the, the book covered much earlier in that process, it, you know, it covered the very start of his career. Um, and the, the book actually sort of, you obviously touch on magic and, and, and Shaq, but, um, you touch on, on him sort of 
you know, sitting down in in his sports hall when in in Lower Marion with with his sunglasses on his head and and the feeling around him at the time and I, I can't remember exactly who it was, but uh, one of the uh, one of the pl- people you quoted, um, a, a GM, I believe, uh, said, "I can't believe how how arrogant this this person is." Why do you think then that he was an obvious talent? Do you think it was just because he he was raw and he was talented that that the Lakers went went after him um, so so much to begin with? Because he he put a lot of people off um, in that early early recruiting process. Well, I mean, he um, he was very mature. I would actually argue coming along, he was pretty mature, and he um, he was smart. He had high SAT scores. He did very well in school. He came from basketball pedigree. His dad played in the NBA. His uncle, uh, Chuck Cox, played in the NBA. I actually, I, I think he hurt people off mainly as his career went on. But I would not say as a young guy, you know, most of the teams that worked him out were dazzled by him, his athleticism, and they thought it was amazing. Um, his game, they thought, would translate. It's tough to tell with a guard coming out of high school. thought his game would translate well to the NBA. Uh, it wasn't until later that he started turning people off, but he was such a talent. I mean, the reality is the Lakers won three NBA titles. I mean, back-to-back-to-back NBA titles with him as their number two star. So he was obnoxious and annoying at times, but he was also gifted. And I just think at the end of the day, that is what you sort of go for. Is, is this guy going to make our team better? And no matter how you felt about Kobe or maybe how I felt about Kobe, definitely made the Lakers better. So that that period then, I mean, it, the, the start of the book, it, it covers, um, it, you know, it, it's written very chronologically, you know, we're, we're not jumping around too much. And it starts with, you, you know, magic trying to come back on that awful return from retirement season. Well, why did you choose to, to start the book off at, at that stage, sort of before before Shaq and, and Kobe even even got there? Well, my last book about the Showtime era Lakers actually ended with Magic testing positive for HIV. And I thought it was an interesting continuation to have him sort of start up again. And uh, I also thought his return the season before Shaq and Kobe arrived was sort of this really weird, disappointing, disjointed Lakers season. And, you know, it sort of paved the, paved the way for what was about to happen. You know, Magic comes back maybe if it goes wonderfully and everyone plays well and everyone loves it and blah, 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 maybe, maybe the Lakers go in a different direction, but end up being this huge flop that sort of led to it. So I, I don't like just having a cold start where it's, all right, Kobe's here, Shaq is here, let's go. I think you need a build into a story. And it just seemed like a pretty natural build because it happened so closely before. And uh, I mean, you know, you also wrote a bit about uh, Shaq arriving, um, which was, uh, you know, it was it was the first time they'd had a sort of dominant big since I guess Kareem before before that. I, bless Vladdy Divac's heart, but I, I don't think he was. Uh, I don't think anybody would consider him on the level of of, of of Shaq at that stage. And it then you sort of started bringing in different different players, and um, what, one of the most fascinating characters for me was Nick Van Exel. Um, mm-hmm. I, I remember him from his time on the Spurs, you know, being a Spurs fan. But and I I don't remember remember him being, I mean, I feel like he came across as, you know, not a jerk, um, in, in, in three ring circus, but, um, you know, he was a headstrong player and a character at that time. And I think he seemed quite difficult to, um, to coach and to get on with, especially for Del Harris at the time. You did, did a bit of a deep dive into, into Nick Van Exel in particular. Um, you know, there, there were other players and you told, the stories of how other players came to be, but um, 
I, I wondered why you why you focused on on Von Axel as well. I just think he's a fascinating player, and he was a building block. The book wasn't just supposed to be about when they were winning; it was supposed to be also about the development of the team. And I thought Nick Van Axel, you know, he was kind of the the star of the Lakers in a way before during those sort of mediocre years. And when Shaq and Kobe arrived, he has to sort of adjust and kind of try to change his game. And he also had this bad relation with Dow Harris, head coach, I thought was really telling. So, um, you know, you can't just write a book about that era and just make it Shaq and Kobe, Shaq and Kobe. Mm-hmm. There's so many fascinating people there. So I always, I, I, I've been a Nick Van Exel admirer for a long time, just as a player. So, you know, the chance to sort of dig into him really, uh, those kind of things do it for me. One of my favorite moments um, from, well, one of my favorite sort of tidbits that you shared was, uh, was that it's, it's so 90s now, um, but uh, Del Harris, uh, apparently you could get a subscription to delharris.com. Um, uh, do, do you know, is, is that still available? <laughs> could, could no, I? that's not so long. <laughs> no, but it was a thing. And it was, I know it's very 90s, you know. His wife came up with the idea. We said, you know, this would be great, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it does not exist anymore. I've gotten asked about that a lot. Like, is that really a thing? Is that really a thing? I'm like, it was. It was really a thing. So, yeah, super weird. Um, another favorite moment that um, came across was, uh, I mean, you know, you, you spent a lot of time with, with, with Phil Jackson, but a bit before that, um, there was a moment where, in, in a bizarre twist and um, to, to sort of, modern head nod was that um Jason Collins and Kobe were were in a lift together um and ended up being or Kobe ended up being thrown out of the lift um could, could you tell that story just a little bit cuz i think that's just a a, a fascinating moment. It was Jason Williams actually former sorry Nancy. sorry yeah J- sorry. Jason Williams sorry and they were at a hotel in New York City and um, this is when Kobe was young it was at the 98 All-Star game and it was Charles Oakley, Jason Williams, and um, Kobe in an elevator. And the other guy in the elevator was Donald Trump, who used to own the, the Grand Hyatt, which is where they were. And uh, Jason Williams kind of had a little bit of a temper to him. And he, um, he got really pissed because he said hi to Kobe, and Kobe basically ignored him. So I kind of took a shot at Kobe, took a swing at him, which is really weird, obviously. And um, the guy who broke it up is the worst human being on the planet, Donald Trump. So, he had one moment in his life when he did something nice for someone, which is a girl from a fight between Kobe and Jason Williams. It's been all downhill since for that guy. Yeah. The, Do- Donald Trump, the peacemaker who, who knew, right. Um, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I know, uh, I, I know you're a very, you're very passionate on, on that topic. Uh, so Big I, Donald Trump fan. I think he's the best. <laughs> he's making us great again every day. It's the best. But j- just, just for, to, um, put, um, us, Brits, um, just to put our mind at rest, it, there is no chance of him winning next month, is there? No, you're wrong. There is a chance. Who the hell knows? It's crazy. Believe me, it's, it's unbelievable how stupid. If you're ever in a position where you used to admire America, you're like, oh, America, like, you can end it. Because we are just the number of stupid people who fall for an easy dime store, street corner con man is insane. So... Wish is he favored to win? No, but who the hell knows? He's also a cheater and a liar, and he has a whole Republican Party behind him. It's so disturbing. I can't even tell you. And and I and I guess the 
the big concern is that, yeah, four, four years ago it was Hillary, but now, now you've got Joe Biden, who, I mean, I think my, my nan is, is older than him by, by a few years. And I, I wouldn't trust my nan to... to I, love, I actually like Joe Biden. I'm a Joe Biden fan. I've liked Joe Biden for a long time. I, th- I, think, I think he's, he's fantastic, but he's... He's old, obviously, but he's got decency. And right now, this country needs more than anything is a return to decency and just kindness and empathy. And it, uh, now everything you're seeing, if you think can't be that bad, it's actually that bad. It's so freaking discouraging and yeah. disgusting. Funny how people in America, people who didn't like Obama used to say, he's made us a laughing stock around the world. Well, now we actually are. So that didn't work out so well. It's the worst. Yeah, you have my sympathies. Sorry, I didn't mean to go down. Everywhere. No, it's all right. It's all right. You know, at least you can be like, you can be like, we have Boris Johnson. That's not so bad. You know, like you, we have given you that a lot. You can be like, not so bad. I put it this way: I'm not going to throw rocks because it's, no. it's a it's a very glassy house over here. Um, but right, so back back to the Lakers then. Um, this, if you don't mind me asking, like you you spoke a little bit about how. You know, you finished with Showtime. What? Why is it that you then went for for this period? Obviously, it's a period of huge success, and there's so many stories. There's so so many things to go on. But I actually think there is a possibility for you to also, you know, do the 2004 to 2016 period, which is, uh, you know, potentially full of. I mean, it might not be as as joyous um, of a period, but there, you know, there are some championships in there. There, there is some, there are some great stories to be told. I imagine. Well, um, is there is there ever a chance of you sort of you know completing the the timeline? Do you think? I don't think so. I um, I'm very into nostalgia. Like sports nostalgia is my thing. Um, things that I look back on and they evoke a feeling or a memory or emotion. I wouldn't be nostalgic for sort of like the modern Lakers. I, I just don't. I don't watch enough. I don't pay attention enough. I'm older than they are. It just doesn't, it's not the same. So I get asked that all the time now. I can't say, I can't guarantee. I'll never, wouldn't consider writing that book, but I think the odds of it are pretty low actually. Yeah. You seem um, like, you you know, obviously we're talking to you because, you know, you've written a basketball book, but um, you, you have written a lot of other books covering a lot of other sports and you've been a, you've been, you know, a columnist for a, a couple of different places in the past, the athletic being one of them. And you've, you, you have covered a lot of sports in, in your career. Is, um, is there something special about basketball that makes you appreciate it more than others or, you, or where, where, where does it rank in terms of compared to baseball and football for you? Uh, I probably enjoy it the most. I enjoy the athletes the most. Um, I used to be a baseball writer for a long time. And I, I feel like basketball players tend to be a little more enlightened and a little more worldly. They have more diverse experiences, you know, backgrounds, et cetera. So that really does it for me. So I would say so. I also enjoy it. Like sitting courtside at a basketball game is great. Um, I probably covered a thousand baseball games in my career. And, you know, you're checking tw- uh, Twitter by the second inning. But basketball holds your interest and it's a lot of drama. And you can, especially when you're sitting courtside or press row or whatever, you can really sort of find yourself engrossed in all um, and raptured by it all. So it's definitely my favorite sport. I don't need to write about basketball. It's not the only sport I write about, but it, I definitely enjoy it. So do you, st- I mean, obviously we, there's no way of uh, you having gone to any games in the past few months. And like you said, you know, you've been so focused on this book that you haven't watched that much basketball this year, but when was the last time you went to a, to a basketball game, an NBA basketball game? It's been a while. It's been a while. It's been a long time, actually. It was the Laker game probably four years ago. I've been gone a long time. We go to a lot of college basketball. We live near a lot of colleges. 
So we go to a lot of college games, but I haven't spent a lot of time since I've been in NBA game. I'm like your worst guest for <laughs> what do you think about the Lakers now? How many more years will LeBron play? Blah, 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 blah. You know, like I just Caruso. I don't even know Caruso's first name on the Lakers. You know, like I just, I know Caruso. I, like. I, um, I don't know. You know, there's something about, I sort of made a decision when I had kids. I used to be a guy who was in front of the TV watching sports all the time. Yeah. Uh, I kind of made a decision when I had kids that I didn't want to be the dad who says, all right, it's Sunday. Either you're sitting here watching with me or I'll see you in four hours. Like, I just didn't want to be that person. Yeah. And it kind of, um, so made me less of a sports watcher than I used to be. Yeah, that's, that's fair. It's something that, um, I mean, we, we don't tend to have the, the all day events in the same way that you do, you know, because, uh, obviously the, all the American sports, well, I guess, I guess we do for like football, sorry, soccer. Um, you know, they, that tends to take up whole weekends for some people. I'm, I'm not a football fan. So my sports watching is, is usually in bed or like first thing in the morning when it, when everything, uh, w- wakes up again. Um, so I'm, yeah, thankfully I think being a, an American sports fan, I do tend to annoy my partner less than perhaps some other sports writers and, and, you know, sports fans over this side. Okay. So with, with the rest of the book, you know, you, you, you sat down with pr- pretty much everybody. Um, and like I said earlier, what, one of my favorite, um, chapters was, uh, well, <laughs> not only, uh, we'll come on to, to Rodman in a minute, but, um, one of my favorite chapters was, was you talking to Phil and I've heard you talk, uh, I, I think it, was it Howard that you spoke to about, um, uh, about going to visit him, um, in, yeah. in Montana? Like it, it seems like Phil still today, I think Phil Jackson is probably the most fascinating person on the planet, uh, on the basketball planet, at least because, um, he's such an enigma, but he, he is this genius at the same time. And I think his fans view him, modern fans view him as the, as the person that messed up a few times in New York. What did you make of him as a, as a human being as to, you know, getting time to talk to him as you did? I really liked him. I uh, spent about eight hours with him in Montana. He was, could have been nicer and he could have been more interesting. And I think what I like the most is he's, he seems generally curious about people. Like um, you do this job, it's not that often that people start asking about you. And I'm not saying they should ask about you, but it's refreshing when they do. You know, oh, what's your wife do? Or what's your favorite book? Or blah, 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 blah. Like that kind of stuff. And he has that, you know, he has that. So He's, he was a great basketball coach. I don't, I'm not necessarily saying he's the, um, he's the smartest basketball guy ever. You know, I think there are other coaches who are better. I think he really understands people, understands dynamics, understands how to relate with humans. I just really liked him as a human being. I think that's something that um, I, I've d- I do coaching myself. Um, and that's one thing that I think is, is important. And it's, it's being even more hammered home. I don't know whether you're watching um, the playbook at the moment on, on Netflix. Have you watched any of that? Uh, the first episode has doc rivers in it. Um, and it's sort of bad timing. Uh, you know, it, it comes out like a week after he gets fired, um, for the Clippers, but, uh, that was a bad fire. He's probably my favorite coach. I do not. Really? I, uh, great coach. I love doc rivers. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, it's, it's difficult. Cause like, I think, uh, I think he probably did deserve one more go around with them, especially with all the turmoil that they've had this year. Um, you, you know, especially with, with some people being in and out of the lineup because of COVID and being banned and, and all that rubbish. I, I think he's sort of got un, an unfair shake of the stick, but I wonder how much, 
how much that team is now being sort of run by the, the superstars, you know? Um, yeah, I, I get the impression that, uh, well, this is just, I have no idea. I, obviously, um, I have no sources on this. I just feel like it's become a very superstar team now and they're probably running the show a little bit more. Anyway, yeah, it's a bit, bit of another sidetrack. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I think he probably deserved another year to see if they could get, get, get it done with that roster. Um, but yeah, going back a little bit, we have um, one of the weirdest moments I think in in LA Lakers history is uh, is is the Dennis Rodman saga. You know, some people might not even realize that he spent that much time that he spent uh, any any time with the team. That was such a weird time in his life. I, uh, when we when the last dance was on, I was sort of um, watching it and, and reporting on it as as everybody was because they had nothing else to write about. And um, one of the things that I ended up sort of going down a rabbit hole over was his WCW career. Um, and, you know, he then, and it was after his, it was after he went and became a prof- professional wrestler. That's when he became, came back to the NBA and had this, this stint with the Lakers that it didn't even last the full season, did it? What, how, how many games was he with the Lakers in the end? I think it was like 30-ish. Um, he was very short. He was very strange to teammates. He's the only basketball player anyone there ever remembered who would shower before the games, not after. Uh, he would show up smelling like cigarette and beer. You know, I think, I, you know, all jokes aside, I think he had a lot of mental health issues and addiction issues. Yeah. I think at that point he was just trying to hang on and try and make a little extra money. But, um, but he was, you know, it was almost a gimmick. It was a strike shortened season. Jerry Buss wanted to sort of just get some people into the stands. Jerry West didn't want to bring in Rodman, but the owner insisted. He was, you know, played a couple of games where he played well. Then he started showing up late. Then he started showing up later. By the end, it didn't really matter. And they just dumped him. And that was it. He was just, at his best, he was probably the best rebounder of our lifetime. But he, he had so many demons, you know. And he's, yeah. it's, it's kind of depressing in a way. He's like, he's like I, when I think of Dennis Rodman, I think of an ashtray with a bunch a bunch of cigarette stubs in it. This is kind of depressing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, he ended up, um, coming over to the UK shortly afterwards and he did big brother, celebrity, big brother. And, oh, yeah. um, and then during that time he ended up playing for the Brighton bears. Um, funnily enough, I believe that was the team that Nick nurse coached while he was over here as well. Oh, yeah. Um, and that it was, I spoke to, I spoke to a couple of his former teammates I say teammates. He played three exhibition games, and one of them got called off because they had too many Americans on the team. It was it was yeah. k- kind of a kind of a shit show, to be honest. But um, so speaking to some of his teammates, it was almost exactly like you described in the book. He he turned up late every single game, even the first one. But the first game, he he had he walked in with a box of shoes that he had it literally just bought off off a shelf, you know, in a in a sports store. And he put them on, he put his, the kit on that was handed to him. And then he went away for a week and he returned a week later wearing exactly the same clothes and holding exactly the same box of shoes under his, under under his, you know, he, it's, I think, I think what you're saying is right. He's, it's very sad because I think he was very lost. Um, And it was, it's a shame that the career of someone so, I mean, you know, He's unparalleled in many in many respects um, in his career. You know, the, he didn't care about scoring at all. Like there were 
times where he would barely score, but um, he would grab massive offensive rebounds and be under the basket alone, and then he'd pass it out, you know, to someone else. In a way, it was almost selfish how unselfish he was. But um, I, I'm glad I'm glad he got into the Hall of Fame, and I'm glad he got his moment. But there were there were a few dark years there. I need to to admit to you, I'm uh, I am sort of about three or four chapters from the end. So so no spoilers. I don't know if they got that final ring yet. But um, you 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 covered the sort of the, the the rise and the fall of them, and it felt from the very start that it was the, the whole reason that they were going to break up, and the whole reason uh, that the Lakers were not going to survive, even from the moment that they that Kobe and Shaq were first put together, it seemed like they were all going to fall apart because those two just never got on. Really, did you did you see any development in you, you know? We've got the video footage of Kobe jumping into Shaq's arms, and we've got you know these moments where you, you know that Kobe lobbed it to Shaq for uh, you, you know in in that finals game, and there's these moments where it's like this is th- these guys could be the greatest of friends if you just looked at them on the court sometimes, especially during those three years where they won championships. But was there ever any moments where you felt from your time with them that these guys, yeah, they, they actually, you know, they, they, they're getting on. They are friends these days. No, I would say no. I would say um, toward the end, they sort of had an understanding of each other, which was improved and, and they didn't have to be with each other all the time. And I think they had an appreciation for what they'd accomplished together. And that matters, you know, obviously that matters. But um, I don't think there was ever a, uh, like a true, like they were never friends. They're just too different. They're just different people, completely different people. So the idea that, you know, they would have this eternal bond over, you know, hanging out together and blah, blah, it just wasn't, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't meant to be. They were just too different. It'd be like taking someone you don't really like and he's a coworker and you worked with him for a long time and you had a couple of good runs and your company was successful when you were there. But you never really liked him that much. So, um, you know, I don't know, not really. So you think the uh, the post career um, friendliness on on TNT and uh, and occasionally on you know in front of cameras it it was just it was all for show. Do you do you reckon? I mean, I think they were I think they were friendly on in that circumstance, and I don't think they hated each other anymore. But I just don't think it was you know it wasn't a, uh, it's, a it's just it's almost I hate saying it was for show that that'd be unfair to Shaq and to Kobe, but it was making the best of times past and sort of, you know, remembering these times and embracing what they had together in the past, but it doesn't mean they were like best buddies, you know? Yeah. So. Well, your, your book is out now. Um, it's, uh, I'm pretty sure it's uh, going to be bestseller in no time if it's not already. Um, it was a fantastic read. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I, like I said, I am looking forward to those final three or four chapters. Um, but best of luck with it. And also I think it's worth, um, flagging up that you you have what one of the if you're a, a a media if you're a writing nerd like like I am then um the two writers sling and yang um is is your regular weekly podcast isn't it do you, do you want to just give a quick plug to that while you're here yeah it's called two writers sling and yang and it is uh it's all it's every every week a different writer and it's uh it's available everywhere you know online etc cetera, etc cetera. but um yeah I appreciate you saying that like Labor of love, no money involved there. Just labor. No, of love. no. Well, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's it's the labor of loves that you know they keep, they keep you doing it, don't they? Obviously, you know you need to make money, you need to have a job, but uh, 
I think, uh, yeah, when you do these little side projects, that's what keeps you passionate. And yeah, it's, it is great to, great to hear you talking about writing and br- breaking down writing. Cause, um, you know, you're at the moment, Jeff, you, you're, you're one of the best out there and I'd, I'd highly recommend, uh, one, if not all of your books. So yeah, thanks. Thanks for joining us today. And, uh, well, yeah, ho- hopefully right. at some point you'll, uh, you'll enjoy another basketball game and another president and another president. Yeah. Thanks man. Soon. <laughs>